We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, Almighty Ballin listeners, thanks for tuning in. Well, and actually BuzzBeat listeners too, because I'm here today with Spencer and Richie from BuzzBeat, the uh, the latest and greatest Hornets A-Team podcast, the only Hornets A-Team podcast, and a couple of guys who I'm really happy to have on the network. So uh, introduce yourself really quick for the listeners out there, and uh, I'll do the same after that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Spencer Percy, managing editor, uh, Queen City Hoops. So Chris um, approached us a few weeks ago, I guess now, and uh, kind of in- invited us to come on, be a part of the uh, Almighty Ballin' uh, Podcast Network. And this podcast that, that Richie and I had started over at Queen City Hoops is really just still in its infant stage, I would say. But uh, I guess Chris gave us a listen, invited us over, so we're so we're really happy to be a part of the network. Yeah, and I'm I'm Richie Randall. I joined Queen City Hoops probably back in June, um, and Spencer actually came to me the idea with starting a podcast for the Hornets, and I was thinking it the whole time. Uh, that's kind of why I joined Queen City Hoops uh, was not only to write but also try to get a podcast out there. And um, so we started that back probably in late November, and so we're seven episodes in. So I'm just a a contributor over at Queen City Hoops, but I'm I'm also happy to be part of this podcast. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that. You know, you said it was in its infancy. I'm pretty sure that episodes are like dog years. So your podcast is one if you're seven episodes in. So gotcha. yeah, I mean, you, you'll you'll be a rebellious teenager around a hundred episodes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and then you have your mid podcast crisis around 400 episodes when you're like, why am I still doing this? You know? <laughs> Hopefully you don't have that crisis because of the Hornets. Hopefully the podcasting thing. Um, uh, I think the Hornets are super promising. That's what we're going to be talking about. And I am Chris Axman. Uh, like these guys said, I run the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, as well as hosting Almighty Ballin' NBA show. Uh, you know, I'd, li- I'd like to think I'm the glue that holds us all together, sort of like a, uh, a Nick Batum of the network, one might say. Uh, and, you know, my, my hopes are that Richie and Spencer, you know, having just drafted them, they're going to be the Kemba Walkers of the network. So 
uh, you know, we're again, super excited to have them super excited to talk about Hornets basketball and, uh, just about ready to go. You guys good. Yeah, let's do this. All right, great. Well, 20 and 18, that's the record as of right now. Um, I guess I wanted to start off just getting a pulse of where you guys are at in terms of what your expectations were heading into the season and what your expectations were with this new roster, this new look, having lost a couple of guys, you know, Jeremy Lin doesn't Uh look like such a bad loss now that he's missed the whole season, but is 20 and 18 about right heading into 2017? Yeah, I I think it is. Um, You know, the Hornets have just recently started to battle some injuries. You know, Zeller's been out a few games. Last night he was back for the first time and I guess about a week. Uh, Now Batum's going to be out for one to two weeks. Um, So they're kind of going through that right now. But it seems about right. I mean, to your point, what you said a minute ago, losing guys like Courtney Lee and Jeremy Lin um, in the offseason, I I think really – what it did is it just it hurt the depth to this roster so much, and, and the Hornets have been one of the worst benches uh, across the league for pretty much the whole year. But these Especially last lately. ten games, yeah, these last ten games have been really brutal. Um, can't stop anybody. But so you know that brings up a lot of questions. Number one, can they get healthy? I think when they're healthy, they're as good as anybody not named Cleveland, Toronto in the Eastern Conference. I think they have to. Uh, they're going to have to address uh, the depth on this roster, though, and I would expect the move of the trade deadline from Cho, but I, I think 2018 is probably about right. Yeah, I think the record cutting uh, into the season, we probably thought they would probably you know, land around the five or the six seed, kind of where they did last year, um, but I think with the strong start that we had, I think that we had higher hopes as the season went along. I thought you know December was a very good month for us, but recently uh, we've kind of seen a downturn with this team, so we're kind of leveling it out here. So, yes, it's kind of the record that we expected, but we did have a little bit of a you know a rise over in, in December. So, it's kind of one of those things where, yes, it's probably where they should be, uh, but we just need everyone to get healthy. Yeah, and you know one of the interesting things about the Hornets is that I think that almost regardless of the little variations, like in terms of okay, uh, on a nightly basis, does Marvin Williams hit all of his threes. So, you know, right now he's at, I think, something like 35%. Last season he was at 41%. Um, Stuff like that, you know, they say it's a make-or-miss league, but I think the Hornets, part of their strength is that they make it so it's not a make-or-miss league. They're like, all right, we're going to get all of our rebounds on the defensive end, and we're going to get back in transition so that there aren't any freebies. And we're going to make it so that even with some random variants, I think that, you know, they have a chance to go in on any game and win or lose. I, I think that they just haven't executed that vision as well as you would like, though. I mean, they've had some, I'm pretty sure they lost to the Nets recently. If they didn't lose, they got really close. Um, And then there was that Pistons game. And you're right. Uh, No, you're right. I mean, it's the system. It's, it's the culture in Charlotte that, you know, keeps them in the conversation just in terms of what you said. They're, you're not going to beat them on the glass. You're not going to get transition points on them. So it's almost like starting with a, you know, three and a half point lead to every game. Um, and so the offense doesn't have to be incredible. Um, I think the difference this year to me, at least aesthetically watching the game, defensively, they're just not the same team. Um, you know, they're, Roy Hibbert, you know, he's been injured some. His minutes have been very inconsistent. I mean, he's a dinosaur in the league. As most of us know, so you can only play him match up uh, bases on certain nights. 
Um, you know, and then aside from that, I, I just think that this, the roster and the collection of players that aren't great. If you look across the roster, you're not going to point out a guy outside of Michael K. Gilchrist that's a positive or a plus defender. And I think those cracks are finally starting to show um, on this team and, and with Steve Clifford and his system. And on top of that, the league offensively this year is just off the charts. So yeah, all the numbers yeah. are, are, are going crazy. But, you know, I, <clears throat> that's the biggest difference I see with this year's team is that, you know, defensively it, it looks like something's missing. And yeah. I, I would agree with Spencer. Like, we, we just have little room for error uh, in terms of, of we don't we don't have a lot of scores on our team, and we, we need the solid, robust defense to keep us in games. And that's kind of why we do well when we excel with low turnovers, you know, grab all those defensive rebounds and things like that. Uh, when our defense struggles, uh, our whole team struggles. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I think that, you know, you say that you don't have a lot of scores. Um, I, I think that you look at the bench and you've got plenty scoring off the bench, but then in the starting lineup, there is this more balanced attack uh, with guys like Michael Kidd Gilchrist, uh, Cody Zeller. You know, I mean, uh, I... I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the season he was averaging more screen assists than he was averaging points scored. Um, it's not quite there yet, but uh, I mean, that's basically his job. He steps in and he does it. Um, the difference, though, I think for this team, and one of the reasons why it's a little troubling that the Hornets aren't doing better is that, you know, this, this team, this Hornets team, has seen a year from Kemba Walker that certainly early on, but even now has just been absolutely ridiculous. I mean, and I think that's gone a little bit under the, under the radar because of, you know, North Carolina, Charlotte, it's not a big market, but uh, why don't you guys talk for a little bit about what that's been like to see and, uh, you know, sing some praises for Kemba Walker, because I, I think that, you know, on a national audience, people don't realize how amazing he's been. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he has. And I think that we saw a little bit of it last year with his shooting ability and, and, and kind of improving in that aspect, but uh, he's had career highs, I think, this year in, in field goal percentage and three-point percentage. And just the way he's playing, it's just so hard to defend uh, with the pick and rolls like you were talking about with Cody Zeller, um, where they used to be able to go under the screens. You can't anymore. Uh, and then sometimes when they when they hedge out, he'll be able to split the defenders and, and make it a four-on-three situation there, too. So he doesn't get enough credit because there are some strong point guards in the East. Like you said, Charlotte is not a big market, uh, but he's, he's, doing, he's doing well. And I know that he had a stronger start. Uh, than he has been playing recently, but he's he's still doing well. He, he's our he's our number one guy. Yeah, I mean, where it all changed for Kemba, and to your point, Chris, you know, th- this might be under the radar with what Kemba's doing. It, it's not that way in Charlotte. This is something that that city and franchise has not seen. Uh, I mean, since the Hornets left, you know, uh, back in the '90s, so or right, you know, early 2000s. So it's been transformative for that city, and, and definitely for the. You know, the season ticket holders and the people that have showed up, you know, even through the Bobcats' uh, miserable years. But, you know, where, where it all changed for Kimba was when he added the three-point shot. Um, he's yep. a good spot-up shooter. He's good off the dribble. He barely needs any space. I mean, he, the shot is quick. It gets out of his hands quick. When that started going in, and I'm not – there was definitely a point where I never thought he was going to be a good shooter. I just thought that, you know, guys are going to continue to go under the screen – um, he's going to have to figure out a way um, to at least make himself a, an average to above average mid-range jump shooter. Um, but it happened like a season and a half ago, really beginning of last season, where you really started to, about 30 games in, I remember thinking, wow, 
this this is real. Like he's added a jump shot. So then the Hornets put you know all these floor spacers and maybe the best screener and co- screener and roller Cody Zeller around him. Built the roster almost perfectly around him. Um, and when that guy has all that space, when you can't go under the screen and he turns the corner and there's nothing, there's not one foot in the paint. I mean, he's too quick. You know, you, you cannot beat him to the rim. Um, so it just opens up the entire floor for Kim Walker. And I think you've seen his game fully evolve. Uh, the big question for him this year is with that, uh, you know, he had another knee surgery in the summer. Was he going to be able to stay healthy, uh, this season? Knock on wood so far he has. Um, and his, you know, his minutes are, I think Clifford's done a really good job of managing it. I don't think the Hornets are playing him too much, uh, but he's everything for this team. Um, you know, if Batum's healthy uh, as, as kind of the, the second distributor, second offensive creator, you know, and to get Kimball off the ball, then this team all of a sudden can compete with anybody. But uh, but he's Kimba Walker makes it all go. And, and without Kimba, this is this roster's a twenty-five win team, thirty-win team maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and. It, I think it started last season in terms of the way that he worked inside of the offense. Um, and it's interesting. You never want to see a player go down, but it's almost like the absence of Michael Kidd Gilchrist because of his shoulder injury. Um, and then the conspicuous absence of one Lance Stevenson. It sort of opened up the floor a lot to sort of show Kemba Walker, give him the opportunity to learn how to work within the Hornets offense rather than just sort of be this free radical. A little bit like um, what Brandon Knight was for the Bucks. There was an offense separate from him or what Kyrie Irving right now is for the Cavs. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it seemed like Kemba would get his and the four other guys on the floor would get his, but it wasn't really much of a, okay, I'm running this offense and starting last year, I think, with the floor more spread open and then transitioning into this year, um, I think because Kemba's been able to provide so much floor spacing just by himself because his jump shot has improved so much. I think that, you know, now you start to see the system that these years when they've been like around a top 10 defense, but haven't been able to have that same production offensively. Yeah, no, I mean, <clears throat> you know, I, I think that, and I, I think that's kind of the weird part uh, that you look at with this team is, you know, the the offensive productivity and how it just it all goes through Kemba. You know, I, I, last night was a great example. Um, Batum's out of the game, and somehow the Hornets have a, have a lead, you know, late into that game. But you see the entire offensive philosophy. I mean, if you watch this team with Batum and Kemba, it, what you saw last night is like total betrayal of what you've watched you know over a sample of what we've seen so far this season so really there's two pictures one is to your point Kimba has learned to play within the offense but number two is when Batum's not out there you know Kimba's still awesome as he was last night but the game plan and and what they can do becomes so much more limited so the other conversation is and actually Richie and I've talked about this Kimba Walker is the best player on the Charlotte Hornets I'm not so sure that Nick Batum's not the MVP of this roster because of the, the dynamic that he adds to the offense. I mean, he is he sees everything on the basketball floor, and he's just one of those guys that makes the game easier for every other guy. Um, I'm not saying Kimba doesn't do that, but Kimba's a, Kimba's a score. Batum is not a score. So they complement each other so well, and if they can share the floor, you know, for 85 to 90% uh, of the season in, in terms of health, then the Hornets have a good chance of winning – 45-ish games. If Batum's not out there with Kemba, 
Kim is still going to put up the numbers, but the team is not going to get nearly as much out of itself. I would agree. I, I think that the acquisition of Nick Batum, it's sort of been a French revolution, I think, for this team. Um, and uh, I, I was saving that joke, and I didn't even get one chuckle. And uh, have you? Do people make that joke? Is that a thing? I've not heard that, but I like it. We, we can make it a joke now. What's funny, every time uh, Batum goes for a, a shot off the glass, our, our play-by-play announcer calls it a French kiss. The French yeah. kiss. Yeah, yeah. Eric yeah but um, I, I definitely agree that Nick Batum has uh, really added – and you know what? I, I think he has been like the anti-Lance, except in terms of you know Batum has been struggling with his jump shot, and he's never – uh, I mean, I think he had one forty percent year from three, but he's never been like an elite three point shooter. But just you know, in all the ways that Lance just held the Hornets back, Nick Batum has been perfect. And and that's what they were trying to do with Lance Stevens is find that creator to go next to Kimba. You know, and Lance is a system. We're good in Indiana, and he was a creator, but he just wasn't ready for that. Uh, that's really the first time I, I think that. I don't know, Richie. Maybe you can correct me, but this is the first time that Lance Stevenson signing. I thought the franchise got impatient, um, and I think you've seen since then. People might question the Batum trade when it happened, but I mean, you look back on it, and it was a heist. You know, what the Hornets did to Portland with that deal. Um, so, you know, that's what they were trying to find in Stevenson is exactly what Batum has brought. But you know, rescuing him from Portland. Um, uh, and and kind of getting him away from Damian Lillard and allowing Batum to really showcase what he can do as a player. Charlotte's been the perfect home for him. Um, and he's he's the guy that I think you look on this roster and what he means to the Hornets, the rest of the league, your average fan has, has no idea. I think everybody kind of sees what Kim is doing, right? But what Batum, what his value is to this team is maybe greater than any other piece on the roster. I, I truly believe that. And I don't really think Batum cares about the limelight. Um, and that's kind of why he works better with our team than, than say, Stevenson. Like, I was, I was actually excited for the Stevenson signing. I thought it was a pretty good deal in terms of numbers-wise. But the more that they played together with, with uh, him and Kemba, we realized that both of them needed the ball in their hands at all times for them to be successful. Uh, and it just didn't work out. Stevenson actually worked better with, with the bench unit because he was separate from Kemba. So Batum... He doesn't need the ball in his hands. Um, to, you know, he comes off of screens to get his shot, but it doesn't really stick in his hands that much. He gets it out and he distributes the ball, and he does make this offense a whole lot better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, you were, you guys both mentioned that Nick Batum sees the whole floor, and I think that you know what what really differentiates Nick Batum from Lance Stevenson is that. Lance Stevenson definitely showed that he could do that in transition, grabbing rebounds and pushing the pace on that Pacers team. But that's just not something that he was, you know, set up to do so well, I think, in George Carl's system. And what Batum can do is his his floor vision doesn't change when he's in the half court as opposed to when he's in the full court. Um he understands his role and knows when to shoot and when not to shoot. Um you know, like the other day, I think against the Thunder, he just decided, okay, this is the time for me to take over. Right. And I think he was definitely right, too. Um, so I I think that Nick Batum, you're absolutely right. 
you know, from an outside perspective, you might not look at his numbers and think, okay, this might be the most valuable player on the team. But um, from the inside, I think Hornets fans and, you know, for people who watch the NBA closely, that's something to notice. That's something to, you know, keep an eye out for because Nick Batum is so valuable alongside the starters. I wanted to transition from there into the lack of bench cohesion because, you know, Nick Batum is so important to the starters, but sometimes it's just like nothing happens for the bench unless, you know, Kemba's out there or Nick Batum is out there. Um, And so I guess, would you guys agree with me that, you know, there's of course some fine tuning that this roster could happen, but number one priority, the big thing that I would like to see from the Hornets going in to the second half of the year and going up to this trade deadline so I want to mm-hmm. find the guy who can be what Jeremy Lin was for the Hornets early last mm-hmm. season and what I sort of wish Ramon Sessions could be this year, but he just is not. Yeah, he's been a lot. No, I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, that's, that is what Charlotte has to find. Now, Sessions has been a lot better. I mean, when he began the season, I mean, Richie, what was he? Through 10 or 15 games, I want to say he was like 10% from, from three. three. I mean, it, it was, was awful. It was, astronomically low number um he's been a lot better in the past 15 to 20 games a whole lot better but Ramon Sessions is not I remember Ramon Sessions when he was with the Bobcats and the speed that guy played with and how relentlessly he he attacked the rim I mean he was I mean he was a legit starting point guard for four or five seasons in this league I may be off on that number but and what made him so dangerous is his first step and his his ability to get to the rim and draw fouls that ga- that part of his game for the most part is is not it's inexistent right so he's he's trying to find ways and, uh, to affect the game offensively to keep him on the floor and, and i think really what this season has been and really last season in washington is just that he's he's on his last leg in the league and he's not going to get it done for the second unit so you know rich joe has a job to do he's got to find a guy who can run the second unit uh, be a creator, be a score, but he's also got to find some defense. I mean, the Hornets second unit, really, if you go look at it, they're not awful. They're about league average for a bench unit offensively, but defensively, they have been horrible. I mean, well, I would argue that offensively, they should be really, really good. They just, you know, they're missing that dynamic piece because, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I would, I would argue the point that Ramon Session has ever been a good NBA player. Um, and, you know, of course, anyone who's in the NBA is a good basketball player. But right. the problem with Ramon Sessions is, well, he's never had an outside shot. Nope. And when he gets close to the basket, he, you know, isn't like Russell Westbrook or Derrick Rose, where, you know, everyone on defense sort of freaks out. You can go under on him on the screen. And then regardless of who picks him up on that coverage, uh, you can just you know, have that one man cover him and Ramon Sessions will still finish something like 41% inside the paint. And that's really bad. It means that if you don't draw a double team when you're penetrating, like you just box out and wait for him to miss. So, I I mean, I think there's a reason he's never been a starting point guard on a good team or even a backup point guard on a good bench. Yeah, I mean, what it also means too, I mean, if you're going to attack the rim that hard, and like to your point, you're not Russell Westbrook, you better number one finish, or number two, you better draw a foul to stop the play. Because you're attacking that hard, you miss it, you're throwing yourself in, into the baseline, you're taking 
taking yourself out of the play going the other way. So, And that's always kind of been Ramon's, I think, kryptonite. If he can't finish at the rim and he can't get that foul, it's 5-on-4 going the other direction because of how hard he attacks. So, you know. <clears throat> he does draw I mean, the most I, free throw attempts off the bench, though. I mean, I, I think that yeah, is one yeah. of his strong suits. We were talking about that last episode, but he's not, he's not ever going to be a, a Jeremy Lin in terms of uh, kind of providing that punch for us with the pick-and-roll game. and Because, like, like Chris said they're they're just going to go under it so we definitely need to make a change on that second unit uh our defense is is poor and we kind of try to stagger mkg in there to kind of help that out but with mkg in there it hurts our offense in the second unit so if we put batum out there in the second unit uh our scoring might go up but then our defense will still struggle so it's it's definitely a predicament that we're in and i don't see it getting better unless we do make a move yeah and and chris so richie and i've discussed it i mean we obviously we've been throwing out names for about a month now because this has been obvious that this bench has to improve so I think there's one obvious one out there and I'm not sure that Dallas quite know I don't know if they understand what they need to do with the rest of the season yet I mean I could see him chasing the eight seed because I, I don't know that, that's just not a franchise that has ever I've never seen him tank and I just don't think that that's what Mark Cuban's going to do but you know Darren Williams I think there's a guy on, huh, on, a, yeah. one, on a one-year deal um, now he does have a clause in his deal, right, Richie? He has to okay the trade. That's correct. So, he, so I don't know why he wouldn't okay coming to a you know an East team that's right. In I the think middle. it's something with his bird rights. Yeah, it is. It is some with his bird rights. Um, but you know, I think there's a guy <clears throat> that could immediately you could plug him in with that second unit. He can play with Kimba at the end of games when you can't find a way to get MKG on the floor. He could help this team. I mean, there's a veteran that's going to come at a decent price on an expiring contract. Kind of that middling move that Cho makes every year at the trade deadline. That's not adding, you know, years to to the to his books uh, in terms of salary, but he's just trying to find that shot in the arm, and that's what Courtney Lee was last year. Um, I think I think Darren Williams makes a lot of sense in Charlotte, but so uh, that's just kind of throwing an idea out there. But we all agree that something has to happen. Well, so what do you guys have that Dallas would want? <laughs> so that's the question. Is like what what is the price? I mean, this is a one year deal for Darren Williams, you know. So it's an expiring deal. So right there, you already know Dallas has to understand we're not getting much back. Um, I which think pro- which probably I, I'm from Dallas, by the, the way, um, uh, yeah, yeah. and so I'm a Mavs fan. What about Jeremy Lamb? Uh, Straight I'm up, glad- yeah. Yeah, no, sure. um, I uh, we we have Lamb on a good contract. I think. I mean, no, I, he's, I, not, I he's not a world beater by any means, but I think we have a on a good contract. And if we're just going to get a rental out of out of Darren Williams, and it's really not going to affect our playoff chances that all that much. I mean, it might get us to the second round possibly. Uh, but yeah, I think. I mean, I guess if that was one move out of many i would do it but um so does lamb have two years left or is, is next year is last year i think it's two years left after this right he signed through uh 19 yeah so he's so it's the same window as walker's contract so yeah i don't, I don't know chris that's actually kind of interesting i would maybe be more open to it than Rich. Well, he's got the lowest box score plus minus on your team and he plays a position where coming off the bench you have your best three-point shooter right and and here's here's the thing he he is not a great fit for Steve Clifford's system. He never has been. Um, I thought that, yeah, I don't fault the Hornets extending him because to Richie's point, the contract is so friendly. But, like, I guess my question would be why not? Actually, Ramon Sessions has the lowest box score plus mine. Sorry, <laughs> go ahead. Shocker. 
Um, so I guess my question would be, if you don't do that deal, Richie, then like, are we sure that there's a better – are we sure, number one, that he's ever going to become more than he actually is right now? And I don't know the question – the answer to that is yes. And then number two, are you really going to do better than getting just a shot in the arm to your playoff hopes one of these seasons that's left in his contract? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, maybe I'm the I'm the conservative one here in, in terms of trades and, and not trying to risk everything just for one season. Um, Lamb, I will say, like you said, he's not a good fit for Clifford's offense, uh, but he's one of the few players on our team that can handle the ball and create his own offense off the dribble. Uh, so in a, in a bench unit where not a lot of players can do that, I, I do like that about him, and he, he scores well in the mid-range. So for a straight-up trade for Williams and Lamb, I'm not sure that I would do it. But that's, that's Well, you would me. get someone who does that much better, I think, than Jeremy Lamb. True. Yeah, exactly, and in, in, that's kind of my point. Like Charlotte's getting the better player, I think. I mean, Charlotte's better becoming the better player. team in the in the trade, I think, right away. And I think for a guy like Jeremy Lamb, who's on you know a friendly contract, we're not really sure how good he is, what he's going to end up being. I don't know that getting just getting Deron Williams or Darren Williams on a rental is that bad of like. I don't know if it's that bad of a deal. I think that's like why you extended Land to this friendly deal in the first place is to make some kind of trade like this. I guess um, you know you're never going to flip Lamb for you know something real special. That's good, but you're going to flip him for something that gives you a better chance. Um, you know, albeit a middling chance, but it's still going to give you a better chance. And so I think this is the kind of deal that that you might see. Uh, so the Mavs do that, and like they don't blink, and they do that trade, right, Chris? Yeah, I I think we would do it. The more I think about it, the more sense it makes. Uh, this is a guy in Darren Williams, right, who is used to playing with Dirk Nowitzki, um, an older Dirk Nowitzki, which is basically what. Frank Kaminsky is right now. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that sort of makes a ton of sense. And what if it's not a rental? If I was the Hornets, I would think to myself, okay, you know, we, we've we had this propensity for, you know, we're going to go get uh, Nick Batum, right, on a one-year deal, a quote-unquote rental. But not only are we going to keep him and put him into our system in a role that he really wants uh, – you know, we're going to get him to sign back with us on a little bit of a discount. Same thing happened with Marvin Williams. I think if you look at Darren Williams and his situation with the Mavs, he's so injury prone, but he is the best point guard on that team. So he's playing way too many minutes. He would probably be happier playing 25 minutes on the Hornets. And he clearly didn't like playing for the Nets in a big market with tons of expectations. At least now he would be playing against bench units, um, you know, like in a smaller role. And for a team that has a good history, I think, with, uh, you know, finding value in guys who, um, you know, aren't quite happy with their current situations. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I don't see why he wouldn't be in favor of coming to Charlotte. And now that you're mentioning, you know, like, why not run it back with him? You know, another short term deal after this season. Uh, right, how, right. how old is he? Thirty-two. Yeah, he's thirty-two. I actually thought he was older than that, so I'm actually hey. kind of surprised. Uh, there's a lot of mileage um, on, on Darren, but I don't know. It's, this trade just made, it just makes so much. He, him on this roster makes so much sense because here's the other thing, and you can speak to this, Chris. He's not a bad defender. No, no, he's not. He's a big guy. Right. Uh, he's a veteran. You know, one of his biggest strengths when he was an All Star uh, was that he was such a great defender. If 
you know, someone was going to make the argument that he was better than Chris Ball. It was sort of based on that idea, which is, you know, Duran Williams is this big chest, barrel chested. He can stay in front of guys. Um, and, you know, Chris Paul has become an elite defender. But at least at that point, Darren Williams was maybe the best defender at the point guard position. Let me put it this way. I would do the trade if I knew there were other trades coming. Uh, I think with our team, our pieces that we have, we don't really have a lot of tradable pieces except the the core unit guys. Like, so we have we have Lamb, we have Kaminsky, but what value do they really have out there? And then if we did get Williams, we would have to do something with Sessions because he would just, you know, sit on our bench. So I'm screwing around with the trade machine right now. <laughs> uh, Jeremy Lin, Ramon Sessions, and Roy Hibbert for Andrew Bogut and Deron Williams. All right, say run that back real quick. Okay, so from the Hornets, Jeremy Lamb. Ramon Sessions, Roy Hibbert, to the Mav or to the Hornets, Andrew Bogut and Darren Williams. How I, how long is um Bogut, is Bogut on contract? Yeah, what one more year? Okay, Bogut terrifies me because I just don't know if he can stay healthy. Well, like, I don't yeah. hate that deal, but I, I mean, you guys would still have Spencer Hawes. <laughs> do not go down that rabbit hole and yet. they would love each other they're both pizza they're both gate passers, truthers man. both probably voted for but trump like it would be great it's a match made in heaven we would literally have a front court of all white guys which would like when's the last time that happened in not only in the <laughs> league but in basketball um, tyler hansborough back yeah <laughs> all right yeah no I, I don't hate that deal i really don't um i just yeah like i said bogut just really really scares me i just really don't know if that guy can stay healthy but i think when he when he's out there and when he is healthy he's still got some i mean he's still showing some stuff i mean i think you saw that in golden state i haven't really seen any of him in dallas this year i mean how many games has he played chris um he's i think he's played something like 20 games the thing is though when he is out there um he he's been able to stay healthy on lower minutes you know and when he is out there he's getting one of the highest per 36 minutes rebounding rates in, in the league. Um, right. A lot of that you'd have to think is because of, um, is because of, you know, the lack of rebounding around the Mavs. But um, I mean, that same sort of thing could apply. I mean, we're playing Harrison Barnes at the power forward and you guys are playing kid Gilchrist. I right. mean, it's a pretty similar roster, I think for the most part. And uh, plus like, you guys know how important setting screens is uh, to right. the Hornets and, and their success. That's all we do. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, Literally. you could essentially put uh, Bogut into a situation where you have three good shooters, you know, plus Michael Kidd Gilchrist cutting if he was playing alongside the starters. And I mean, playing alongside the bench, you can almost have him and Darren Williams being an offensive system in of itself. I think, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think he does fit into Clifford's system because he, he is, he's a big that can pass the ball as well. So I guess what Chris is uh-huh. saying here is we're getting rid of Sessions. We're gaining Williams. We're getting rid of uh, Hibbert. We're gaining Bogut. And then who else did we throw in? Oh, Lamb. We, we lose Lamb. So um, it kind of makes sense a little That trade looks, makes a little bit more sense for our roster just kind of to, com- you know, to complete it a little bit. I, yeah. I wouldn't I – wouldn't, I, I like the deal. What's Bogut's uh, contract next year? What what is he owed? Um, what is Bogut owed? Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing. He's a unrestricted free uh, agent. Oh, oh, he's expiring. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. So Darren Williams and Bogut are both expiring. Gotcha. Um, yeah. I mean, it it puts more pressure on Cho, you know, in the summer. Uh, but 
you know, he's he's proven to be solid in that area. Uh, I, I like the deal. I really do. I mean, I, I think you look at three guys for Charlotte Sessions. I mean, they're probably begging teams to take him right now. Uh, Lamb, just, uh, you know, losing him is not a huge deal. And then, you know, Hibbert is just a guy. It doesn't matter what roster he's on the NBA. You can only play him certain matchups. I mean, he's just not a guy who can play uh, 25, 30 minutes a night. He just can't do it. He can't get up and down the floor. So, I like the deal. Um, I think it's a pretty fair deal, an even deal for both teams. So why would you stay on this trade um, conversation? Because I was listening to your podcast the other week, Chris, and you guys were discussing Kaminsky, I believe, in a trade scenario at, at some point. Richie and I talked about I, – I don't, I don't know. I, I thought it made sense for a while. Now, the more I've thought about the last few weeks, I'm not sure how much sense it makes. But Kaminsky for Willie Cauley-Stein, what are your thoughts there? I think well, both teams would do it. Yeah, I I think both teams would do it. I like that a lot. Um, I, I like think, that a, a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I mean, I uh, so. I one of the things I was going to say is I used to back in NBA two K five and six and seven. One of the big things I used to do is play the Pistons, except instead of having uh, Darko, I would pretend that they drafted Carmelo and just trade the two, right? So that you could play the Pistons with Melo if they had made the better pick. Uh, my equivalent this year when I get to play the game, which is rare because I'm running the network and watching actual basketball. Right. But my big, you know, Darko Melo trade is instead of picking Kaminsky, you know, Everyone always talks about, like, why didn't you take the Boston offer or why didn't you get Justice Winslow? Mm -hmm. But right after Winslow, Indiana picked Miles Turner. Right. Right. Um, And I think Willie Cauley-Stein has a lot of the upside that I see there in a Miles Turner pairing alongside the Hornets. Besides the shooting, though. Right. He's got a jump shot. Cauley-Stein is – Cauley-Stein? Yeah, yeah, he does. I, I it's remember seeing a little bit of a Kentucky. Yeah, he just didn't. You know, he just didn't take it often. I don't know. I haven't literally have not seen him play one second in Sacramento this year. I try to avoid watching the Kings, but um, they're fun this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's it's tough. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Kali Stein's just literally. I don't know that there's a more perfect big for what the Hornets do offensively and defensively. Like there's a guy who gets up and down, protects the rim, can switch off on the different positions. I mean. He can switch almost one through five. You can make that argument. Um, not only that, but in the in the heavy uh, pick and roll system that the Hornets have offensively, he's perfect. I mean, he can play with the bench. He can play with Kemba. Um, he can play next to Zeller uh, at the four. Um, and I don't think you lose anything offensively. I mean, Kaminsky's, Kaminsky's been awful uh, for for a better part of the year. <laughs> Straight and, up awful. I mean, terrible. Yeah, he's been such a good three point shooter. Oh wait. <laughs> Oh yeah, god, no, he hasn't never mind. He's shooting. But the funny thing 30%. is, people still respect him from out there. They, they, he, he beats people off closeouts all the time, which is crazy to me. I, I would just let him shoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would, I would. Uh... Teams are kind of starting to do that too. I mean, they're, they're, you can tell the teams are helping a step further off of Kaminsky. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, Willie Cauley Stein. I just the the prospects of him being a Charlotte Hornet really excite me because I think he's just perfect for the system. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just so you know where I was at, I thought he was the second best prospect in his draft. So mm-hmm. I, I love Willie Cauley Stein. And, um, you know, the, the question would be uh, is George Carl, not George Carl, um, <laughs> Steve Clifford, going to be able to make him into the player that he could be because that is yet to happen. Right, right, right. So 
I would say like Sacramento. All right, Collie Stein would be perfect in any system, and what I would call a gravity offense. So like the Hornets are a gravity offense. What I mean by that is, you know, it's it's pick and roll heavy, and when that ball gets going downhill in Kemba Walker's hands, the gravity of the defense it, it's sucking the defense in, and that opens up things for Zeller, any big that can screen and roll, um, which is which is Collie Stein is perfect in a gravity offense. Kali Stein's in the worst possible situation right now because he's playing with a team that has a big in, 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 in uh, Cousins who has the ball in his hands all the time. So, you know, the defense is standing still. Um, and, and so where does, like, where does Kali Stein go in that offense? There's nowhere for him to fit. Um, he's not a guy who can just stand. He has to be screening. He has to be moving. The defense has to be tagging him as he's sprinting to the rim. And in Sacramento, he's, it's like he's just out there standing running around catching and passing and cutting um so it's just I almost equated to like a tyson chandler type oh yeah yeah that was the big comparison for him going in um and you know one thing now that i think about it a little bit more one thing that i like about that trade too is that it keeps cody zeller on the hornets and i just think if willie Cauley stein wants to be great and that's the way he talks he's he's sort of got swagger um he is going to be benched if he doesn't set good screens. Mm-hmm. That's just a reality. But he is better. I mean, he he has a profoundly higher ceiling than Cody Zeller, which is the only problem I have with Cody Zeller as the center. Isn't It's not so much that he's not good, because he definitely is good and he serves a purpose, but it's just Cody Zeller is what he is and what he will be for the in, until his career is over. But Willie Cauley-Stein could be so much better Right. And you would hope that if he's watching this guy who just shouldn't be as good, uh, that shouldn't be starting over him, then hopefully he's like, okay, I need to set good picks if I want to get minutes because it's there for the taking. Yeah, I mean, Zeller, Zeller is probably our best screen setter. He is our best screen setter. He's I mean, one of the better screen setters in the yeah, NBA, I think. Definitely. Yeah. He creates so much space. He's able to kind of turn his body and reset the screen if, it, if it's not the right way. And if Kali Stein came over, he would definitely be learning from one of the best. And it would motivate him to do, and to do better as well because he does have a higher upside, like you stated. So, you know, Zeller is also another one who's on a good contract who could be traded down the road. But I'm, I'm loving the way that he's playing with this Hornets team. He he's so underrated. You you don't you almost don't even notice that he's out there on the court sometimes. But he does all the little things that a casual fan just wouldn't pick up on. Right, right. And you know, Zeller's always it's always going to be easy to trade Zeller. Uh, his contract's friendly. There's every single team in the league needs a guy like that. Um, and you know, you bring a you bring a guy like Collie Stein in. Um, you have your Cody Zeller exit strategy and to your point Chris it's not that he's not a good player um he's an excellent player probably one of the best screeners in the league but you know Cody Zeller isn't taking you he's not winning you the Eastern Conference Finals or even getting you there uh at the center position Willie Colley Stein potentially two or three years down the road put in the right situation it could still be that player so yeah and I mean Hibbert's been disappointing but uh, the thought process there was was really clear. It's like, can we rehab his value in the same way that we've rehabbed the value of a few other players? Because if we right. have Roy Hibbert into a system that is already a top 10 defense without a good center, imagine how good it would be, how elite it would be if we did add a elite defensive center to that mix. And uh, I think Willie Cauley-Stein could be that. 
And it's a good situation, too, because, I mean, if Al Jefferson can be the defensive anchor um, just because the Hornets don't make a lot of mistakes out on the perimeter, then, you know, you could go really far with that. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and the Hornets got bit, you know, last year against Miami in that playoff series. They just they could not stop Hassan Whiteside um, and they didn't have a big in that series to match up with him. Um, you know, so Hibbert was I think there was some that move to get Hibbert was with what you said. They were trying to revive his his career like they had had done with Jeremy Lin and some other guys. And then number two, I think they just got to the playoffs, um, played in really their first competitive series since being back in Charlotte as a franchise and understood, like most of us know, all right, the game slows down in the playoffs. You have to be physical. We could not match Miami's physicality. So, you know, I think Hibbert kind of gave him that poker chip. Um, if they found themselves in a playoff matchup like that again, uh, to feel like they were in better, better shape. But the issue with Hibbert now, I mean, he, his mobility is just so, so bad. Like, I, I think that's one thing that Collie Stein would add over him is that he, he can move. He can move side to side. So if you get a step on Hibbert, uh, you're you're going to be by him, and he's not going to be able to block the shot. So, especially with that second unit, um, in terms of those those wing perimeters with Lamb, who's not the best, uh, Bellinelli definitely not not a good defender. Uh, there's going to be a lot of action at the rim there. Yeah, that's yeah, a good but point. we're trading Lamb for Darren Williams. Remember? Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Um. So okay, yeah. Now now we have a Hornets team. Um. We've got Kemba. And the crew starting, and then off the bench, we've got Bellinelli at shooting guard, Darren Williams at point guard. Uh, who's your small forward off the bench? Um, it's not Lamb. It was Lamb. Well, oh well, yeah, yeah, it is Lamb. It, well, it was Travion Graham last night with Batum out. He had to get some minutes. So, but yeah, typically it's Lamb. Well, maybe you can get like Omri Caspi or something. That would be awesome. I mean, he would that would be that. so great. Okay, See, what, so. what what about Wilson Chandler? You guys think he would be a good fit for Charlotte? Yeah, I, I think he's too valuable. Right? Yeah, exactly. I think I think his price is going to be high. Wilson Chandler is awesome. Like, yeah, and- he he's also a great dude. Um, I, uh, you know, I, you know, there's there's a whole Nuggets conversation to have, but I feel like they're. Um, one lost Wilson Chandler away from yeah. being basically that same team that was like three, two, one, six weeks. You remember that whole thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that. I mean, I, I think that they're a, a tenuous locker room chemistry, and Wilson Chandler is a great dude. So, um, Gallinari is is certainly a possibility, but I, I think the Nuggets know that getting rid of Wilson Chandler might be a fatal mistake. You know, if you believe what's out there, and you know they're they're talking and there sounds like they're making him and uh, numerous other players on that roster available. Um, which surprises me a little bit because I feel like the nuggets, God, if they can just figure out how to get Moody in line. They're, they're ready to chase that eighth spot in the West. Um, but it sounds like they're talking trade. And I, I mean, I would pick up the phone in a second and call about Wilson Chandler, Richie, but I, I agree with Chris. I just, I think he's too valuable. I think they're going to be asking way too much. Um, and I, I just I don't know if it's realistic. And, and plus, who who would he be replacing? I I I like the starting lineup of Kemba Walker and then Nick Batum, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, uh, Cody Zeller for now. Um, and then I you know I, I assume that you want to keep Marvin Williams in in there. And I mean, since returning on December seventh, 
He's been good. I was actually going to ask you at some point whether you think that the early season Marvin Williams or, you know, sort of the newly returned from injury Marvin Williams that's been really good, you know, which one you think is real? Uh, that's, that's probably in between. Yeah, I would, I would say it probably is somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, Williams just had such a good year last season. Um, and he was, he quite frankly, he was probably one of the top reasons the Hornets offense was as good as it was. But, uh, yeah, I would agree with Richie, probably somewhere in the middle. I, I'd like to see him get the shooting percentage by season's end, you know, from behind the arc, somewhere to close to 38. And, uh, you know. He's actually <clears throat> shooting above Batum from, from three, which what most people probably wouldn't realize. He's at 35. So he's at 35, yeah. So that's just way down from last year. Um, but, you know, Williams has been – he's attacking closeouts all the time now. I, I think he oh, yeah. he's showing that to teams. Um you know, it's in the scouting report to chase him off, chase him off the line, make him dribble it. And he's actively doing that. And he's kind of punishing teams uh, more often than I think people realize. So he's trying to get the scouting report to turn the other direction again. <laughs> so he can get, but I think uh, the more I watch him play, so he can get the, uh, get the, the looks that he was getting last season. But yeah. So I, if you I, got Wilson Chandler, who would you replace in the starting lineup? I mean, I think. <sighs> you don't think he would. Yeah. Be I, okay I think he's coming he, off the bench. I think Wilson Chandler. He's too good. He's uh, scoring 18 points a game for the Nuggets. I mean, he's really good. I know, really I know. Good. But I just, yeah. I just wonder. I just wonder with this Hornets team. I mean, he might not. He may not start, but he could finish for us. What is his instead sound? of who? MKG. That that's fighting words. Yeah. So no, wait, Richie, you're saying he I could, love MKG. He could start over MKG. No, 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 no. I'm saying if he were to come off the bench, uh, oh. but he could close out games for us over MKG. Uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, no, I agree. I, I don't know if Wilson Chandler, man. Here, here's my concern with that, right? Um, I I think that you know you you have these four guys who are just all you know your wings. You basically play uh, four wings slash guards, four perimeter players, and one inside guy. And the inside guy, outside of like setting screens for the wing guys, just isn't doesn't need to build chemistry as well. So in the starting lineup, you're looking out for a, you know, a center who could replace Cody Zeller and do the same things because it's just a less complicated role. But if you move MKG out of the starting lineup, you're making a big decision because especially for a guy who can't shoot that team chemistry and team coalescence and just being used to playing with the guy is one of the ways that you make up for the fact that he can't shoot because guys get used to his cutting habits. You know, guys get used to playing with him on the floor and what he's going to do. And once you know his tendencies, then you can sort of compensate for some of his weaknesses. And if you take him out of the starting lineup, you're throwing a wrench into that. Uh, It's almost like a decision to bench MKG is a, a decision that is like, you know, a almost a permanent decision. So, and this kind of opens up another door. I, I don't think the MKG is, I don't know that he'll be traded, but I'm ready to say that the Hornets are, are having conversations that he's a part of. Wow. Um, and I, I mean, I think, I think that is probably true. And so I think we, you could realistically talk about and the way to fix what we're talking about right now with this lineup thing is MKG for Wilson Chandler, and I don't think that's a crazy trade. I mean, I, but I don't. I don't know anyone really knows what to make of MKG. He's still so young. Is he going to get better offensively? Is he's good defensively? Is he's 
you know, as he sold to be. Um, yes. Would the Nuggets do that trade? I I I'm not sure that they would, but it makes yeah. a lot of sense for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, but, I mean, their defense is so bad. I mean, they. Uh, I mean, also they they're starting a center who can feasibly. I mean, in Jokic, you could pepper the defense, you know, from the outside, hopefully. And since he's running the whole system, like it would definitely open up. I, I could see, you know, the whole backdoor cut type MKG yeah. game working a lot better. That dude's a great passer. Um. Yeah. God, he's so great. Um. And also, I mean, Nurkic is someone who has who I've thought about uh, as someone who would work for the Hornets. Yeah, I don't know his game. I, I know Jokic's game, but I, I don't, I'm not I'm not familiar he's with Nurkic's bruiser. game. He's a bruiser, but he can. He's he can a bruiser. Yeah. He's got some offensive game. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think you know a, a good comparison for Nurkic is like what Dwight Howard is now, where he uh, and and that works in terms of like mentality. Like he really wants back to the basket possessions, but he's not a stellar back to the basket. Yeah, I I, I think you know he's going to want to be posted up, but he's not that great at it. But like he's a really great rebounder. He's massive, um, and uh, he's you know pretty solid defensively too. But you have to keep him happy. I guess is the point I'm making. Well, yeah, I heard he was upset because he got you know a diminished role. Right. So the <clears throat> kind of on the Nurkic conversation, and, and then maybe we need to move on from the trade thing. But the last player that I've thought about for the Hornets that would make a lot of sense, uh, and this just because this bench needs a. Uh, they need offensively something to play through so badly. It obviously doesn't make them better defensively, but I think Jalil Okafor makes some sense. Um, I think you know, mm. it's a guy that Philadelphia is trying to find a home for. I'm almost certain of that. Um, if I know, were the Hornets, I'd start him. I mean, he's basically Al Jefferson, right? Yeah, but you're not going to take Zeller out of the starting lineup. Well, it's again one of those things where I'm not a big Jaleel believer, but if you trade for him – then you better be. And if they believe that they can make him into an elite offensive weapon, then it well, should be I, I alongside mean, guess, the starters. I guess my point is that he's he's at least he's at least somebody the bench unit could play through. And I, I'll be honest, I don't know what his value is. I mean, I, there's probably teams out there. There's desperate teams out there that would pay a high price. I think that 25 of the 30 teams in the league, though, are not. You're not getting a whole lot for Jalil Okafor anymore. You know, so that's kind of the reason I say it makes sense for the Hornets now because. Yeah, I think he, he can just be that guy. It doesn't cost you a ton. Uh, you can bring him in, um, plug him in with a second unit, try, play through him most of the time, uh, and, and it might help. I, I mean, I don't think it's the best trade the Hornets could could do to help the second unit, but uh, I think it's I think it's realistic. What about something uh, I, I've thought about it a lot? Uh, moving, and this will be the last trade. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys if you let's guys are okay with it i want to go through one more if that's yeah, yeah let's do it if that's gonna be okay i've thought about something that is based around gorgory dang and ricky rubio for michael kid gilchrist and ramon sessions i like it and I, I think i did see this maybe on twitter uh, i read this somewhere your idea um i like it i don't know would yeah i don't know minnesota would do that in a heartbeat yeah, I mean, I think they need to move on from Ricky Rubio and uh, like Chris Dunn is a better fit with the starters. And I think that, you know, you put in Michael Kidd Gilchrist and he does everything that you wish the other starters did. <laughs> you know, right. like he right. is a great team defender, like he gets all the hustle balls and, you know, 
you, you're it's like he's a 60 40 ball type of guy like you turn 50 50 balls into like 75 25 balls and uh um, right yeah I, I i think he would be huge and then you guys have ricky rubio uh ricky rubio plus spacing basically um is your bench unit like and ricky rubio is a great defender too and he can definitely run a system so if you put uh you know kaminsky and Bellinelli, and maybe if you keep starting Lamb, uh, you just have so many good three-point shooters around him that he he might work. You would definitely need shooters around him for for it to work. Um, I'm not sure if I would do that trade though. You said Rubio Jang for MKG and Sessions. Yeah, I'd do that in a heartbeat if I was. And I, I just I just value MKG way too much. Then I mean I, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you try to get a pick back if you're Charlotte. I mean, you certainly lobby for that um, just because there's this <laughs> – I don't know if it's real or not, but there's this value that goes along with the price tag of MKG um, that you're going to try to make part of the conversation. But that's tough. That's a real – That's I like it. I like it's enticing, it. yes. Yeah, it's tough. I, I think the Hornets would ask for a little bit more there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that'll be – That'll be the last trade we go over, um, but uh, I I think that Michael Kidd Gilchrist is more valuable than that too. Just so you know, um, I think you know you you get a couple of pieces like I think Gorgui Dang um, and he has so much more upside than Cody Zeller, and then Ricky Rubio I think is exactly the type of guy like he's one of the better defensive point guards in the league. So you get that coming off the bench, uh, and he can absolutely run a system. So I, I think that. You know, that at least makes some sense. But, uh, I mean, the reason I think MKG is more valuable is because, like, I, I believe in the impact that he has on the on the court despite not having a ton of steals or blocks. I think his defense, um, like, in a team construct is super elite. Uh, and I think that, you know, his ceiling is a lot higher than where he is right now, both from an internal and external perspective. And what I mean is internally he could develop a better jump shot and be so much more effective as a player but externally i mean if if clifford i think clifford isn't using him perfectly on the offensive end yet i think that you know he's he's a tricky guy to try to use perfectly um and so i i understand why you know it's hard to work him in and it's not so much a criticism of clifford as like a observation that i think is just a reality that he could be played better. I mean, what do you guys think? No, I, I agree with you 100. percent They if the Hornets are really the first offensive possession they have every single game, they run the same play for MKG every game. So like the first offensive possession is always going towards him. They try to get him going early, uh, get his confidence up. Uh, they just run a little cross screen for him, try to get him a post look. I wish that Clifford would put him in more pick and roll situations with Kemba because I think one of one of the ways one of the ways one of the ways that MKG is going to improve as an offensive player is learning how to post. He's gotta you know, if if teams are gonna stick this or or quote unquote try to hide somebody on him, you know, he's gotta punish them on on the block. Uh he's not you know, he doesn't have a good enough game with the ball. He doesn't have a, a good enough dribble game to go by players, but he does have the length and the strength uh, to punish guys around the basket. And and you, I think you've seen it, and Rich, you know this, you've seen it in glimpses this season. I've seen him make moves, especially that first possession against the Thunder the other night. Westbrook's guarding him. He went right at Westbrook, bullied him right down to the left block, went over his right shoulder, finished, 
and it was the most confident offensive move I've seen. I, I think I've ever seen MKG make in the in the league, and really one of the most fluid ones. So you know, put him in pick and rolls with Kimba, force that switch. Now you got a smaller defender on him. Now the the tide has really turned. You know, for the Hornets offensively. Now you, you have to respect the fact that MKG is out there. You have to work that much harder defensively to fight that switch. Not only, you know, and that opens up things for Kimba. So it's, it's folds like that that I think that, that Charlotte and Clifford could really explore with MKG. But, uh, but it's tough. I mean, it's just really tough to find a way to get a guy involved that's that, you know, deficient. Right. I think including him in the offense is probably not high on Clifford's priority list. Um, he does best when he's cutting to the basket, uh, getting to the basket. But I guess, like you said, he probably could use him in pick-and-roll situations like that so that he can get um, some easy baskets in the post-up situation. But where I see his value the most is obviously on defense, and, and people are starting to call him overrated on defense. I, I just don't see it. I really don't. I think that some of the, the, the superstar players have gone off on the Hornets, uh, but I don't think it's because – MKG lacks in that department. Um, he's, a, he's a great rebounder as well. He's the only person that we really send to on the offensive glass. He leads our team in offensive rebounds, um, which I, I just value him a lot. So I think that you know when we talk about trade discussions with MKG, they, they may be listening to offers, but I really hope that they value him as much as, as I do. Yeah, yeah. And I can sort of tie both of those statements together by saying MKG as the role man is so potentially deadly because he definitely, if you force the switch, which you should be able to, if if Kemba Walker is the uh, the playmaker in that pick and roll, mm-hmm. now you have MKG rolling to the basket, and you know either as a lob man or off the pass, you know he I think can overpower even a guy like Russell Westbrook, but the vast majority of NBA guards he's going to be bigger than. But if Kemba Walker does put off a shot off the dribble you've got mkg rolling to the basket already for the offensive rebound and i yeah yeah and i and i believe that you know i mean really the most frustrating thing about kaminsky and the real reason why i wish you guys had miles turner instead is because you know if you could space the floor out with miles turner to the three-point line right not only is miles turner so close to you're you're and if you're you know, on the three-point line at the top of the break, you're 70 feet away from the basket with your center, with your rim protector, instead of 100 if he's under the basket. So, uh, you know, after a pick and roll, Miles Turner can, you know, head back to the defensive end. And now you've got the seven foot two guy, you know, under the basket ready to protect if there is a transition play. Um, and then, you know, you also have the center in that situation drawn out of the paint. And I think that if you really want to fully utilize Michael Kidd Gilchrist, it's not his rebounding ability in general. It's his rebounding ability over other forwards or other wing players, because I mean, he's a great rebounder for a forward, but I mean, you're still going to get out rebounded by, you know, even guys like Zaza, you know, who are seven footers, but right. I, I mean, there's not really a ton of better rebounding small forwards, like wing players. Um, there's not a lot of guys who are, who are better at that than Michael Kidd Gilchrist, especially on the offensive board. So, I mean, part of the problem with utilizing him is that, you know, really what you would hope Kaminsky could be is that center. And since he's not that, since he's not an elite shooter and he's not a good rim protector, it's like who can Steve Clifford use? Spencer Hawes has been 
bad in a lot of the same ways that Kaminsky has been bad. Um, so it's like, you know, you, you have all these amazing things that you could be doing with kid Gilchrist that you can't. And I mean, that's a little bit frustrating, but I mean, hopefully you guys can fix it with a few moves because I think that MKG, uh, you know, another thing that I like about him, and this will be, uh, the last thing I say on this point is that weird jackknife jump shot that he has. That's the type of, of jump shot that guys who are elite, um, in pull up like 12 foot jumpers. If you look at Sean Livingston's catapult shot or Dwayne Wade's jump shot, it's the same way because their release is sort of behind their head. MKG Ooh. has that, you know, weird jackknife behind the head, high release. And that's the type of thing that, you know, you struggle from outside, but even when you're going downhill at a hundred miles an hour, you can hit these like stop and pop shots from like 12 feet and in, you know, better than most players because it's hard to contest it. So, yeah. And I mean, that, yeah, that's a great point. And the other thing I would kind of piggyback off of that is just, you know, MKG going downhill, you know, he still hasn't learned as reckless as he is going to the rim, you know, and as much as he throws his body around, he should draw more fouls probably than he does. Um, and I don't have it right in front of me. His foul rate's probably not awful, but you know, he's got this thing where he gets to the rim and the contact comes like he just can't help himself, but like to contort his body into all these different shapes and angles. He leans back. He leans back and he, it's, there's just, if he would just keep his center of gravity solid when he, when, when contact comes, he would have such a better job or, or such a, uh, a better chance of finishing a lot of these opportunities. He's an awful finisher uh, around the rim. And it's, it's because of what Richie just said, he leans back. He's like hunting the contact, but then at the same time, like he doesn't want it. So it's really <laughs> odd. I, the funniest thing I tweeted out about a week ago, he, he cries for and one probably the most on our team, maybe outside of Kimba, uh, yeah. but he never gets it. And I, I think it's probably because he does lean back. He's, he's not really accepting the contact. He's trying to avoid it and get it at the same time. But the ratio of him crying out for and ones and actually him getting it is very low. It's, it's, it's pretty hilarious. If you, if you listen to it uh, on our broadcast, you, you can definitely hear him. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I think that pull up jumper too, you know, I, I think that, part of the reason why he struggles to draw contact is because if a defender wants to, you know, just basically put his back feet on the restricted line, then, you know, it's like, what are you, what are you going to do? Right. And you can drop back and defend Michael Kidd Gilchrist on the drive because he doesn't have that pull up threat. He already has this instinct to lean back. Why not turn that into a jump shot? You know, uh, I, I think that, you know, that, that's one of the things that you wish that, you know, uh, that Steve Clifford would be having a conversation with him. But, I mean, it's hard, right? I mean, it's hard if you're starting, like, you know, Cody Zeller, who can't really get the center out of the paint, same as Roy Hibbert, because most centers can just, you know, get a hand in his face, and now he's basically double teamed um, without the center leaving his man. So, um, right. yeah, it's... Uh, it's interesting because I, I really like a lot of the players on the Hornets, and I think they're really close to something. Um, I think that the their ceiling is um, has yet to be tapped because of a few fatal construction errors. And I mean, <laughs> I I I hate to go back to the Kaminsky thing, but like really, what you guys stuff. need the defining thing is like if Kaminsky could play defense and hit his threes, or if you had someone like that that would just totally change everything for the Hornets. I think um, he's I'm, I'm 
very close to, to done with Kaminsky. He's, I, I, he just he lacks a toughness and a will and a and a fight through adversity factor that should exist at this level of any sport. Um, and you know we could we could talk about all the different you know deficiencies defensively, you know, in terms of his positioning and his strength and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, he's so for me he's almost unwatchable now because. He just doesn't play it. Like I just don't understand how he continues to get the minutes he does on this team uh, under Steve Clifford, who demands energy, uh, because that guy plays with none a lot of times and in pouts and cry. I mean, he, Richie, you've men- mentioned this before. It is painfully obvious to see like his confidence is shook so easily. I mean, so easily. If he does not see a shot go in early, he's a zero on the floor on both ends and. I don't know. I mean, I, I think a change of scenery could help him. I think being in an offense that puts the ball in his hands more uh, really is as a driver um, because that's what he was at Wisconsin. You know, just bat, you know, those little herky jerky, almost like Boris Diaw back downs into the paint. And now I can pass it out because I have that ability. I can finish around the rim. Uh, and you have to come out all, all the way and guard me at the three point line because I'm capable of doing that. You know, an offense that gives him possessions a handful every single game to showcase that and that's not going to be in charlotte um you know i think a change of scenery could help him but yeah I, it's hard for me to watch frank kaminsky and it's hard to tell if it's like a sophomore slump uh kind of like blake collie stein over in in sacramento or if if this is just how kaminsky is going to be i mean we know that defense he's probably never going to be anything it, is on it that end. is it hard to tell <laughs> I, I i think yeah. it's pretty like Obviously, well, this is what he is. No, no, I'm yeah. And last year, he he showed glimpses of having an outside shot. This year, it has yeah. dipped so low, in which you're like, is this a slump or is was last year just kind of some aberration here? I don't know. Let, let me let me rephrase that. How well would he have to be shooting from three to be a starter on an NBA team? Thirty-five. Four. Oh gosh, no, I think oh, it's gonna okay. be higher. I guess taking into consideration defense. So yeah, probably thirty-seven. I'd, yeah, I'd say 30, 37 to 40, probably more more like 38 to 40. I mean, he's just – he's so bad defensively. He better be doing something incredibly well, well. well. Yeah, so are you playing him as a center or as a power forward? Because he cannot – like I, I, I'm done having the conversation with people about Frank Kaminsky playing center in this league. He cannot do it. There's no way. What center is he going to guard? He can't None, do right? And so so right. that's what I'm thinking, right? Like if he's – if he's playing center, he's going to break your defensive system, and he better be shooting a lot better than 38% if you're going to right. do that. And then at the power forward position, the vast majority of fours in the modern game can shoot about 37%. What you would, and I mean, like, uh, compare him to Marvin Williams. I mean, how much better would he have to shoot than Marvin Williams to take his spot in the starting lineup? Right. Exactly. I mean, that's a great he, I, point. I mean, Marvin Williams brings you this guy who can switch across three positions and on top of that he's already a good defender just on his guy so yeah i, I don't know man i mean the, the conversation on kaminsky is getting is getting harder by the day but the hornets better they got to do something with him even if they get That's i don't the even issue. know i don't even Every- know what like a penny back for the dollar of frank kaminsky is at this point i don't even know what that is but I think he's just not a good fit for Steve Clifford, and I think you got to find a team that still believes in what Kaminsky can do because they're out there and they're in Sacramento, California. So you just got to sit. <laughs> yeah, no, the, I, I think Kaminsky, Willie Cauley Stein, that makes tons of sense. Um, I 
We unfortunately have to close up this podcast, but I mean, I could talk for a few hours about why Frank Kaminsky is even off the bench. There's always someone better you could play. Right. (laughs) Um, So, but, you know, I I hate to end on a positive note because uh, (laughs) part of the reason we spent so much time talking about like the different things that the Hornets could do, um, you know, both in terms of changing their strategy and in terms of just making some little acquisitions, backup point guard, backup center, you know, um, you know, trying to fill in spots and develop things. It's because I, I think that the conversation on the Hornets shouldn't be stagnant. I think that, you know, um, Batum is so great and Kemba Walker is so great. Uh, Michael Kidgilchrist, I really love him, right? I think he's awesome. Marvin Williams, uh, I, I think that he could very easily return to form and, and Cody Seller's good. But also, it's just there's so many centers that you could target to just totally revolutionize this team, and you're paying Cody Zeller like he's a bench player, anyways. I mean, ten million dollars right. is is about right for a bench guy. So uh, I really like talking about the Hornets, and that's why I'm glad that on ABPN we now have a dedicated Hornets podcast. That's Buzzbeat. You've been listening to either Almighty Ball and NBA Show or Buzzbeat because I think that this is a uh, you know crossover episode of sorts, but. You know, I'm Chris Axman. I run ABPN. You can find me at Almighty Ballin. And this has been Spencer and Richie. Spencer, uh, I mean, why don't you guys shout yourself out? And I know that you write over at Queen City Hoops. Uh, do you have any articles that you guys want to shout out or, uh, you know, any stuff that you're excited to announce? I know that you just revamped the design of your site, and I think it looks great, by the way. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, so I, I don't know. You know, right now it's just game preview, game recap heavy content on the site. Um, you know, we'll have some trade deadline stuff coming up. But, yeah, check us out, uh, queencityhoops.com. Uh, really, I, I would say it's an independent site that probably sits on its own. And part of the uh, – if you've been a basketball fan for a while, you remember the ESPN True Hoop Network. Um, so it, it was uh, was a member of that, and that's really was the birth of Queen City Hoops. So it survived that storm <laughs> and still uh, – <laughs> Is, a, is an independent entity uh, now. But, no, we, again, Chris, we really appreciate the opportunity. We're super excited uh, to be a part of the Almighty Ballin' uh, Podcast Network. And, you know, I hope that Richie and I can get better and better uh, with our podcasting skills. We've really enjoyed it so far. But, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, at uh, QCH Spencer. And, again, visit us uh, on queencityhoops.com. And I just want to second everything that that Spencer said. We wanted to thank you for this, you know, this great opportunity with the uh, ABPN uh, network. And you can follow me on Twitter at Richie Randall, R I C H I E R A N D A L L. And then we also have a Twitter for our podcast, which we're kind of having to regrow our followers since creating a new one from Queen City Hoops. It's at Buzzbeat Podcast. Yeah, one more time. Thanks to Buzzbeat and the guys at Queen City Hoop. Uh, you've been listening to either Almighty Ball and NBA Show or Buzzbeat. You know, definitely check out those Twitter addresses if you haven't already. Make sure you follow Richie and Spencer and me, um, or maybe and I. But uh, yeah, I mean, thanks for listening. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll we'll see you next time. You listen to uh, an ABPN podcast. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com